0: Hello, and welcome to another episode. You know that meme of Charlie Day from It's Always Sunny, where he has all the red lines connecting all the pieces of some mystery together, and he has this paranoid, sleepless, almost rage-like look on his face? Overlap three of those on top of each other, and we almost have a decent idea of what taxonomy looks like. Taxonomy is the systematic method of classifying organisms into various hierarchical categories, each one more exclusive than the last. You should have learned these categories in school. They're called kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. We are homo sapiens. I'm sure you've heard that before. Sapiens is our species name. And no, it's not sapien. Sapiens is the singular and the plural. We are the only sapiens that have ever or will ever exist. But we're not the only homos. Don't laugh. Homo is our genus. It's a higher up, less specific, more inclusive group. The Neanderthals were part of that group, so their scientific name is Homo neanderthalis. There's also Homo erectus, Homo habilis, and many others. But humans are more than just homos. Well, this is getting out of hand. We are also Hominidae, and so are all the other great apes. Gorillas, chimps, bonobos, and orangutans. Hominidae is our family. We, along with all of them, are part of a broader group called the primates. Primates is our order. All primates, along with many other animals, are part of the class called Mammalia, or mammals. The Mammalia all belong to a phylum known as Chordata, which is all animals with skeletons plus a few others. And the Chordata belong to a kingdom known as the Animal Kingdom. I recently had a hilarious discussion with an evolution denier who insisted humans aren't apes, and we aren't even animals. I asked him if we are mammals, to which he agreed, And I kept telling him that makes no sense, but he was impervious to facts. The whole debate is on YouTube if you want to check it out. So as we can see, you can call a human many things. An animal, a vertebrate, a mammal, a primate, and so on. This video is specifically about the broadest category, kingdom. You'd think it's as simple as, well, you got the plants, the animals, and the bacteria. There are three kingdoms. Oh, and fungi. Four. Protists? What the hell are those? Okay, so there's actually five. Algae? Those aren't plants? Okay, six. What's that? We don't know what plants actually are? Okay, so seven. Wait, algae are plants? So we're back down to five then? They found a completely different kind of unicellular life in the 1970s? So there's two kingdoms for bacteria? No? Still just one? Why? It's a mess. It may sound like we don't know anything, but that's not true. We keep knowing more and more. The problem is, it's easy to put things into categories when you have a dismally ignorant view of the world. The more we learn, the more we realize things don't always fit into boxes that exist only in our imagination. Let's get started. Before we begin today's episode, I want to tell you that if you like this content and want to support me, you can check me out on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Just search Planet Peterson on those platforms. You can also find links to my Patreon, Venmo, and more by going to my YouTube channel and clicking the link in the banner that says support the channel. Okay, back to the episode. Taxonomy is the scientific practice of classifying things into groups, which also determines to what degree organisms are related to each other. Do they both have feathers, lay eggs, possess a beak, are warm-blooded, lack teeth, and have complex respiratory systems? Well then they're both birds, put them in the AVs class. Sometimes organisms mistakenly get put into the wrong taxonomic category. There are amphibians with no legs, but calling them a snake or even a reptile is a major error. But kingdom is just about the broadest category of life. How hard can it be? As I alluded to in the introduction, the more you know, the harder it gets. Aristotle thought there exist two kingdoms of life, plants and animals. The only two kinds of animals, according to him, were ones with blood and ones without. That's very good, Aristotle. We'll hang it on the fridge for a week. The only two kinds of living things exist idea was around for roughly 2,000 years, but eventually the field of taxonomy became a very real science and was most profoundly influenced by two people, both named Carl, spelled with a C. First was the inventor of taxonomy, Carl Linnaeus. Linnaeus, born 1707, died 1778, Was a Swedish botanist, zoologist, physician, and the world's first taxonomist. Linnaeus invented the practice of taxonomy in his book Systema Naturae. That's Latin, and I probably pronounced it wrong. This book was the book that introduced the Russian nesting doll concept of kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Linnaeus created the taxonomic system out of necessity. Science is a universal practice, but how can you convey scientific concepts universally? No matter what language we speak, if you draw the number 2, everyone on Earth knows what it means. Math has that kind of universality, but organisms are called whatever they are by native speakers. What we call the wildebeest, others call the new. A bearcat can be called a binturong, in Linnaeus' time, there was no standardized naming practice for organisms, so people made up their own. Here's an antiquated name for the wild geranium from Linnaeus' time. Geranium, pedunculus, biflorus, collae, dichotomo, erecto, folius, quinquepartitus incisus, sumus, sessilibis. There has to be a better way than that. Linnaeus started with a universal language and fell upon Greek and Latin. Why? Because they are dead languages. The meanings of the words are permanently fixed, so they don't change. Linnaeus then realized to put things into living categories, it was important to figure out which of the few fundamental characteristics they share, rather than obsessing over their particulars, giving us terribly drawn-out names like the geranium. What makes a mammal a mammal is actually a pretty short list of traits, even though individual mammals have countless unique traits. Linnaeus derived great pride from his work, and he had a reputation for arrogance. Linnaeus was a devout Christian, and he thought he was unlocking the mysteries of God's creation. In a move that was way ahead of its time, Linnaeus classified humans as primates. He knew this would be controversial, but in his own words, I ask you and the whole world a generic difference between men and simians according with the principles of natural history I certainly know none simians for the record are chimpanzees linnaeus placed us in the same genus as them which today we know isn't accurate but we are very close relatives nonetheless linnaeus was a prolific classifier The final edition of his book contained 4,400 species of animals and 7,700 species of plants. According to Linnaeus, like Aristotle, these were the only types of living creatures, and so he had a two-kingdom world. Fungi, such as mushrooms, were lumped in with the plant kingdom. Linnaeus made a few other gaffes. The animal kingdom was composed of six smaller classes, and in the fish class, he placed whales and manatees. In later editions of the book, he did correct that error. There was a class known as vermes, which included all invertebrates other than arthropods. Into that class he placed mollusks and echinoderms. Today we consider these organisms part of two highly distinct phylums. Linnaeus considered all arthropods to be insects when it's actually the other way around. Arthropod is a phylum that consists of insects, crustaceans, arachnids, and myriapods. To his credit, Linnaeus was the first person to classify bats as a type of mammal. They had always been considered a type of bird. This can be seen in the book of Leviticus, where a host of birds are listed off as not being kosher, and in the list are bats. To this day, people struggle with the idea that mushrooms aren't plants. They know they're a fungus, but we don't know that a fungus isn't a plant. The fact that you buy them in the produce aisle might be the largest obstacle to fixing this problem. A contemporary of Linnaeus was Anton van Leeuwenhoek. Leeuwenhoek discovered the unknown world of microorganisms. Nobody could have imagined that countless life forms exist everywhere. Our understanding of these creatures was very poor at the time. Linnaeus categorized virtually all microbes into a single species within the animal kingdom. He called it chaos infusorium, infusorium being the Latin word for a solution. Microbes got no respect. It seems silly to us, but people seriously doubted that these things were alive. What it means to be alive or not still isn't perfectly known, but they had a much less objective concept of it in the 1700s. It was thought that spontaneous generation, which I've done an episode on, created these microbes constantly. Eventually, scientists wised up to the idea that these microbes are fundamentally different from animals or plants. To be clear, some are animals. Nematodes, rotifers, tardigrades, there are many animals nearly invisible to the naked eye. In 1860, British naturalist John Hogg proposed a new kingdom of life, the Protista. A few years later, German biologist Ernst Haeckel proposed basically the same kingdom but called it Protista. The name used today is protozoa. According to Haeckel, the protists were all forms of life which are unicellular If you paid any attention in biology class, you should know that not all unicellular organisms are the same. There are basically two kinds of cells. Cells that do, and cells that do not have a nucleus. Prokaryotes are those living things that are always unicellular and do not contain a nucleus. Eukaryotes are living things that may be unicellular or multicellular, but whose cells do contain a nucleus. This term was introduced for the first time in 1937 by French biologist Edouard Chotin. The next year, American biologist Herbert Copeland introduced a four-kingdom classification of life. The Monera kingdom would encapsulate all prokaryotes, and then the Protista, Plantae, and Animalia kingdoms were the others. And they composed all eukaryotic life. The prokaryote and eukaryote were considered empires, a higher level than the kingdom. Later we will see the concept of empire be transformed into domains. The next expansion in the kingdom of life concept was by an American plant ecologist Robert Whittaker in 1969. It had been known for a long time by this point that fungi weren't plants or animals. Much of the time they were classified with the protists, but often they were just ignored. Whittaker argued that fungi must be fundamentally different and deserve their own kingdom. Fungi are a weird bunch. It is one of only two kingdoms that is composed of both single-celled and multicellular organisms. Yeast is an example of a unicellular fungus. For multicellular fungi, just picture any mushroom. This gave us two empires and five kingdoms. The prokaryote empire, containing only one kingdom, the Monera and the new now four kingdom empire of the eukaryote. There's something important to point out here. At one point there was only one kingdom of life. The question is how many do we have today? Figuring out if one organism needs its own kingdom is a matter of figuring out if it's the descendant of any other kingdom. Fungi aren't a type of plant or protist. At one point, neither of them existed, and they gradually evolved separately from different kinds of precursor organisms. At what point these demarcations happen is extremely hard to figure out because the division between, for example, plants and animals probably happened before there was multicellular life on the planet. Finding evidence of that single celled common ancestor is probably hopeless, so scientists must rely on genomic analysis and the analysis of the cellular structure in today's life. With these discoveries, it seemed like we were on our way to making sense of biology and biological relationships. But then, a new discovery fundamentally changed our understanding of life, and it was the most revolutionary shift in taxonomy since its invention. Carl Woes, born 1928, died 2012, was an American microbiologist. Of all the people who never won a Nobel Prize, Woes is probably the most deserved. He discovered a brand new kingdom of life that was hiding in plain sight, and made biologists completely change how we view evolutionary relationships. It's difficult to look at bacteria and decipher what their traits are. Bacteria come in a wide range of shapes. Some are ball-shaped, others pill-shaped, and some are even spiraled. But other than that, what's there to see? If you want to know what makes a bacteria what it is, you're going to need to look inside. I'm going to try to explain this without being too technical. Almost anything an organism can do comes down to our genes. Small fragments of our DNA, genes, are read and converted into a different molecule called RNA. RNA is then used to create proteins. Proteins can be used to build structures, or used as chemicals to initiate, speed up, slow down, halt, or otherwise modify chemical activity within our cells. There are structures called ribosomes within our cells. All life on Earth has ribosomes. If DNA is the universal instructions all life contains, ribosomes are like the molecular machinery all life contains. The ribosome is universal to all life because the ribosome is basically the place in the cell where the proteins are made. In 1977, Carl Woese discovered a type of prokaryote that has a fundamentally different kind of ribosome. Composed of 68 total proteins, as opposed to the 58 protein ribosome found in bacteria. Well, actually that's not totally true. Woes didn't discover these prokaryotes, they were known, but Woes discovered their internal machinery and was the first to recognize that these are not bacteria. Woes named these new kind of organisms the archaea. There are other differences between archaea and bacteria. There are no archaea that can cause disease, so none of them can be called germs. Archaea can live in extreme conditions, such as boiling water, extremely acidic waters, and extreme pressures. There are some other structural differences in their membranes as well. It's hard to wrap our heads around how profound this discovery was, because the organisms we're talking about are unicellular. But the archaea and the bacteria are more different from each other than you are from a banana. The Archaea was a completely different kingdom of life. Woese's discovery meant that, at one point, neither bacteria, eukaryotes, nor Archaea existed. The original single-kingdom biotic world was populated by a unicellular prokaryote, but it was not a form of life that lives today. We now had a six-kingdom world, and for a short while, a lot of people were probably confident that now we had it pretty much figured out, A higher level of organization was also introduced. The domain. There was the prokaryote domain and the eukaryote domain. The concept of domain has fallen in and out of favor but is generally accepted today. Then it turned out more things in plain sight proved to be not as simple as we thought. What you might call pond scum also goes by the name blue-green algae. Algae is a name given to certain eukaryotes that do photosynthesis but we have no idea what to classify them as. We'll get back to that in a bit. Turns out that blue-green algae is actually a kind of bacteria, cyanobacteria. The name was given long before we knew bacteria existed. Calling cyanobacteria a kind of algae is a monumental mistake. Remember, bacteria are their own separate kingdom from eukaryotes. This is a worse error than calling a cactus a porcupine because animals and plants at least are in the same kingdom and algae and bacteria are not. It shouldn't be that surprising that some bacteria do photosynthesis. Photosynthesis is thought to have evolved more than 3 billion years ago, 2 billion years before eukaryotic cells emerged. The problem is, how do we organize the eukaryotic photosynthesizers? At first, all photosynthesizers were considered a type of plant, But in the 1800s, we learned that many microbes do photosynthesis. Some of them are even unicellular. A plant, by definition, is multicellular. Hogg, who we mentioned earlier, introduced the term protuctista as a place for these organisms. He hated the term protozoa because it means early animal. And the distinction between if these microbes were more animal-like or plant-like was too blurry to give them a name associated with animals. In 1933, a biologist from London, Thomas Cavalier Smith, proposed an eight-kingdom tree of life. The animals, plants, fungi, archaea, and bacteria that we've talked about were all there. His three new kingdoms were dedicated to microbial eukaryotes. The ArchaZoa were eukaryotes that lacked mitochondria. He did away with this kingdom after only five years, after realizing they lost their mitochondria over time, rather than having never had them in their evolutionary history. You can think of it like classifying snakes as non-reptiles because they have no legs, but then finding early ancestors of snakes with legs and then changing your mind. Instead of the protista, Cavalier Smith introduced the term protozoa. To prevent Hogg from rolling over in his grave, Cavalier Smith gave us the other new kingdom, the chromista. The protozoa were the single-celled eukaryotes that are more animal-like, and the chromista were the single-celled and multi eukaryotes that aren't plants, but are plant-like. Protozoans include organisms such as amoebas that you've likely heard of before, and others whose names you probably don't recognize, but whose images you would. Check out the YouTube channel Journey into the Microcosmos for some stunning videos of these and other microbes. The Chromista kingdom is by far the most confusing, but it is accepted today as a genuine kingdom. The chromista kingdom includes virtually all single-celled eukaryotic photosynthesizers, such as certain types of algae and diatoms. Algae, again, is a very loose term that is basically stuff that does photosynthesis but isn't a plant. You can even call cyanobacteria algae for that reason. But the chromista also include multicellular photosynthesizers that aren't plants, such as kelp. These multicelled chromista are distinct from plants in that they have a different kind of chlorophyll pigment, chlorophyll C, they do not have multiple tissues like true plants, and their chloroplasts are located inside the openings of their endoplasmic reticulum, an organelle within the cell, rather than freely floating in the internal cellular fluid like virtually all other organelles. Cavalier-Smith changed his mind about the ArchaZoa and got rid of them, but then also betrayed Carl Woese and said... No, the prokaryotes are one kingdom. That was in 1998. The most modern kingdom of life model was proposed by multiple scientists in 2015 and contains seven kingdoms. The bacteria, archaea, protozoa, chromista, plantae, animalia, and fungi. Modern high school textbooks commonly use the six kingdoms corresponding to the 1977 Carl Woese model. There are alternative ideas about kingdoms, including if we should even use them, but I won't be getting into those. Science is always changing, and so our concept of how many kingdoms there are will change too. Woese himself in the 90s thought the eukaryotes should be considered one giant kingdom after first proposing five eukaryotic kingdoms. It's hard for me to imagine we redefine or break apart the animal, plant, or fungi kingdoms, but those pesky microbes are always fair game for a revision. Keep your eyes peeled. This podcast might become out of date very soon. Thanks for listening.